Hi, and welcome to my podcast, The Only Girl on the Job Site. I'm glad you found me. I'm Renee Beery, and I love empowering women to take on home projects, both large and small. I have been the only girl on the job site for the past 27 years, and I have seen it all. The good, the bad, the ugly, and everything in between. With my help, I hope you will be able to avoid the mistakes I've seen in the past and go into your project confident and knowledgeable about the industry so that your project is as smooth and successful as possible. Today, I thought we would talk about the five biggest mistakes I have seen. And there are more than five, but I thought I would hit on what I would consider the top five. The first, maybe not in any special order, but the first is not having the right team at the beginning of your project. And what does that mean, the team? So some of it depends, actually, most of it depends on the size of the project you are taking on. But what you want to make sure is that the team starts together at the same time. What I see happen more often than not is a homeowner wants to do an addition on their house. They do some research. They fall in love with a particular architect's designs. They engage the architect. The architect starts drawing. They're two-thirds of the way through. They're thinking about bidding the project out. Maybe they even go ahead and bid the project out. The contractor is found and hired. And then someone on the team says, you know, you might want to think about the interiors. That's when I get the call. So by that time, everything is pretty much set in stone. And I come on and looking at drawings for the first time where they may have existed six, seven months prior. And I look at it. And I view it from an interiors standpoint and not an architect standpoint. And the easiest way I describe the difference between what we do is architects look from the outside in. Interiors look, interior designers look from the inside out. So you'll find me maybe in a battle of words with an architect, which has happened on a number of occasions over a window placement, for instance. So from the outside, where the architect has placed the window is perfect. It's balanced. It does X, Y, and Z. And I get it. And I totally buy the argument. The problem is on the inside, it's in a terrible location for who knows what reason. Maybe that's where, say, in a bedroom addition, maybe that's really the only place for a master bedroom or master bed that's a king size. Or I got in an argument once with an architect because he had a window in a coat closet. And therefore, there was only going to be about a 24-inch long rod for coats. And I thought, well, that's pretty useless. So I get it. And I understood his argument. From the outside, it looked beautiful. But from the inside, it didn't work. So that's all okay to do when the drawings are still just drawings. But once they're turned into a bid package, all of the pricing, everything has been staged and estimated based on the drawings. So if I was brought into the team early on, I could give that feedback when it was just a line on a drawing, costs nothing to fix it. If I'm brought in after the fact and the homeowner is like, oh, oh, I didn't realize by having that window in that little closet, I wouldn't have any room for coats, then it becomes a change order. And the change order is the dreaded term for lots of extra money. It doesn't always mean it's lots of extra money, but that's the uh, 
the fear behind that term. So it's really important to have the whole team at the beginning. Now, one way to do that is, let's say you don't think you need interior designer the whole time, but you want that perspective. So you hire them all at the same time. You hire the architect and the interior designer, typically at the same time. They can, you know, come up with and work through all of your, you know, wish list items. And then maybe the interior designer is, you know, on a holding pattern for four months while you bid the project out and go and get your, all your permits and everything else. So there's ways of, of managing it so you get uh, the benefit of having a professional interior designer's opinions, but not have them just sit on, on a team and coming to weekly meetings that have no relevance to an interior's uh, portion of the project. So really give that some thought. Even reach out, if you're not sure, even reach out to a local designer that you've had good referrals for and say, hey, this is what I'm working on. Is this something that you think you should come in now and give me some ideas or not? And a true professional will, will tell you, no, 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 you don't need me now, but give me a call when you're at this stage. I'd love to take a look or support you in some other way. So the second mistake I see a lot is not having a realistic budget. So I tell everyone, people say, oh, you must work on these huge projects with no budget. So, well, that's true. I have. I I worked in New York City in the late 90s, and it was just heady times. I mean, it was insane. I I still think some of it didn't really exist because it's just so hard to, to believe. But I'll tell you what, these incredibly wealthy clients had a budget. Now, their budget may have been an obscene amount of money to the rest of us, but it was still a budget and we were still to keep within it. So to say like, oh, there's no budget, it's not true. There's always a budget. So how do you come up with a realistic budget? Research, lots and lots of research. So if you're doing an addition, like we just talked about, you might reach out to the architect and say, hey, um, we want to put on this room that is 20 by 30. What in your experience what is the average, and it's called the cost per square foot, that you typically design? They should be able to give you a pretty good number or a, a pretty tight range of numbers. Now, would you just go on that? No. You then need to go beyond that. Okay. So he's going to tell me it's X dollars a square foot. Now, this includes a bathroom. Well, go online. Go look up. Go to a, a plumbing supplies store. Go look, what is it I'm going to like? Am I going to like the polished nickel? Am I going to like the really high-end stuff? Am I going to like the low-end stuff and everything in between? Start running those numbers. It takes some time, but I trust me, doing this in the beginning alleviates everybody's stress because if you don't do it, if you hire a team and they go to bid, what will happen is the contractor will do what I, what everyone calls the allowance. There'll be a plumbing allowance. There'll be a light fixtures allowance. There'll be a tile allowance. There'll be a countertop allowance. And the list goes on and on and on, depending on what you're doing. So what does that allowance mean? I, almost every project I walk into where the contract has already been signed, meaning those allowance numbers are in the budget, those are done with formulas. They are not based on any information other than a formula, and it's a square footage price. Nothing drives me crazier than these high-end projects who use these very inexpensive or very low square foot price. 
And they and I go back to them. I say, why would you use this number? You know darn well they're going to use marble and it's double a square foot. And they go, Renee, they bid it out. And I know darn well they bid it to three companies and they're all using the same formula. So if I come in with a higher number, I'm not going to get the job. I said, yeah, but it's all, all three of them would have been under. And he goes, I know, but I need to have apples to apples to apples in the beginning. Nothing drives me crazier. Literally, ask any of my clients, nothing drives me crazier than these allowances because they are based on a formula that someone created in an office. They are not based on reality. They're not based on your tastes. They're not based on selections or even discussions you've had about selections. They are simply a formula. So the more information you come in with pre-bidding, the more reasonable and, and realistic your estimates will be in the end. So the other thing everyone says to me is, well, Renee, I have a little extra money to spend, but don't tell the contractor. Let me tell you what, they know that. (laughs) They count on that. They know darn well that if you said your budget is $10,000, that you've probably got another grand sitting around on the just-in-case pile. So don't think that you're keeping something from them. The other thing is you shouldn't be keeping something from them. This is your team. You are a part of this team. The more open and honest you are, the more functioning this team will be. If you and the contractor keep secrets from each other, like, well, I don't want to tell him I I actually could spend the extra 30 bucks on that, then he doesn't know to say, hey, you know what? I have a great idea. If we did it this way, I know it's going to be 30 bucks above what I told you it would be. It would be better. And here's why. Okay. It's a give and take. You must communicate at all times with your contractor, which goes back to having the right team. You've got to like your team. You've got to get along with your team. You've got to want to have coffee with your team because they're going to be an integral part of the success of your project. So the third mistake I see people do, and sometimes it's not their fault, but what becomes their fault is that they agree to it, is scheduling. So here's what happens. An architect gets going. He says, I should have these drawings done in two months. And you look at your calendar. Oh, okay. Okay. That's, that's July. Perfect. I want to start my, my uh, project in July. Well, what that means actually is that the architect's plans are going to be ready for bidding in July. Well, bidding can take, depending on the time, the market, and where the world stands, can take several weeks. These contractors have work. So they're not sit- sitting around waiting for people to call them for a bid. And bids are extensively researched. So, okay, now we're into like August. Okay, well, great. You approve, you hire the team, you go, when can you start? And they go, well, I'm finishing up three other jobs, should be done by mid-September. I can start you end of September. And you say, fantastic, sign me up. If everything goes right on all those other projects he told you about, then you start in end of September. I'm going to go out on a limb and say, probably not ending all the same time exactly as he planned for a hundred different reasons. So all of a sudden now you're like mid-October and let's say you're putting an addition on off of your living room and you've planned a Christmas party and the guy says the work will take six weeks. Okay, that in theory works, but it will not work. And I promise you that the amount of stress that it will reach, it, it will bring to a project will, will derail the project. It will take more time. I can tell you, I don't know who Mr. Murphy is, but Murphy's Law comes into play at all times. So you need to really focus on when is a good 
time to start. The other thing is you go into these meetings saying, hey, we have an annual Christmas party the first Friday of, of December. Every year, no matter what, we're not canceling this year. Can you be in, out, cleaned, and finished by then? A good contractor, an honest contractor will look at you and say, no, it's too tight. We just can't. So then it's back on you. You either postpone, you push, the, you, maybe you have the New Year's party that year or something like that, but really make sure it's a good time for everybody. The other thing is to keep in mind is summer. Everyone says, oh, I want to do it in the summer. We're a lot less flexible. We have kids and we don't have to run in and out of school and this, that, and the other. That's all true. The, uh, so here's the downside. The kids are home possibly more often than not. So then there's, you know, the construction and there's mass and then there's kids. The second is summer vacations. You might go away for two weeks. Tough to go away for two weeks and leave a project unattended. Not to say a contractor can't do a project on his own because he certainly can, but he may not know or be able to interpret a list of notes that you left of, hey, you know, I really want this to be done this way and that way. So, you run a high risk of coming back after, say, two weeks and seeing something going, oh, that, oh gosh, that's not what I want. That's not what I expected. And unfortunately, that's on you because there was no, you weren't there. You weren't there to, to be telling them on a day-to-day basis or your weekly meetings or whatever you know, you've set up. The other thing I've seen is people say, well, I'm going to have my mom stop over. <laughs> I tell you what, don't do that. Just please save us all and don't do that. And I love my mother. But a mother's interpretation of what is best for their daughter is not always what the daughter really wants. I have been in so many uncomfortable meetings with the mother where, say, I've worked with the, the homeowner, the, you know, the wife, the daughter, for six months. And I've gotten a pretty good feel for how she likes things and wants things. And then the mom steps in and says, you know, something entirely different. I'm looking at her going, uh-huh, great. How do I handle this? And I'm going to either really piss off the mom and pretty much stay with what I know to be true from the daughter, or I'm going to piss off the daughter and let the mom drive the train and all hell breaks loose. So just don't do it, right? A friend, a sister, a mother, they don't know exactly what you want. They may think they do and they may have the best of intentions, but truly, honestly, these are big projects. These are a big time commitment, big expense. You want to get them right. You want to be around. If you've waited time to do it, you can wait to do it at the right time. Next, and the fourth biggest mistake I see is being unrealistic about how a job will go. My best example is a kitchen renovation. And I have lots of friends doing them all the time. And they typically call me for advice. And I give them my advice. And they don't really want to hear it, which is fine. And then they go through it and they go, oh my God, you were right. So feel free to listen to my advice now. So the advice I give out is if you think you're going to eat out or order in all meals or most meals for the duration of an entire kitchen gut, gut job, meaning down to, down to, again, the studs and the plywood, you are mistaken. You will get sick of that really fast. These projects. Oh, well, I just actually was talking to a friend. She said, oh, they said it'll take six weeks. And I know her kitchen. And I thought to myself, no way in hell is that taking six weeks. So I told her, I said, look, I don't know what they told you or why they told you that, but I'm thinking eight to 10. And she goes, ah, there's no way this is going to run eight to 10. I said, okay. I said, I'm just giving you my best advice. Guess what? 
they wrapped at nine and a half weeks. And, you know, the company was like, oh, well, we overran because, you know, I can't remember what it was. The cabinetry ran long or later than they thought. And a faucet was back ordered. And, you know, in theory, all legitimate things. But also, they should know that, which is why I told her eight to 10. So she also had told me that they thought it would be fun to eat out every night. So here's the problem. One, it's expensive, right? You're spending tens of thousands of dollars, maybe more, on a new kitchen. And then you got to buy dinner every night. If it's a family of four, that could be an expensive ticket on top of all of the expensive tickets. So my best advice to someone, especially doing a kitchen, is absolutely, positively, 100% set up a mini kitchen somewhere else. Typically, it's a garage. If it's in the middle of winter and you live somewhere really cold and your garage isn't heated, obviously that's not the best place. But find a spot where you can do that. And if I hear one more friend say, if I have to wash my dishes in the tub one more day, yeah, guess what? You'll be washing your dishes in the tub unless you have a laundry room with a big washed tub. So I really, really, really encourage people to give some thought and be really realistic. Another is if you're taking on a very large renovation, do you want to live in the house? And I know people balk at that and they say, what? I'm not going to rent a house while I'm doing Guess what? They're very invasive. And now in the world of VRBOs, I actually have a lot of clients who do. They rent a house, maybe not for the entirety of the project, but they might do it for a portion of it. Maybe the demo and the initial installation of everything. They might actually live in it the entire time. But give this all some thought and some really serious thought. And if you think about it in the beginning and you add it to your budget, then it doesn't become unrealistic and it's not unreasonable. So My last and final mistake I see people, and we sort of touched on this already, is staying on top of the progress. It is critical for you to stay on top of the progress. And I don't care how small the project is, but if you don't stay on top of the progress and things slip, what will happen is a couple of things. One, the end, there'll be this humongous punch list, which is a bit unreasonable actually for a contractor because they're thinking, well, I got a one week left and I'm wrapping up so I can call you know, the next homeowner and say, I can start in two weeks. Or they move on and then you've lost them and you're now trying to get them to come back and do this whole laundry list of things. And I can assure you, it's not because they don't want to come back. It's just because they're slammed with the, the next project. So you really need to stay on top of the progress. And that could mean if it's a small job that might take two weeks, maybe you meet with the guy for 10 minutes every other day. Maybe it's every third day. You know, find a pattern that works for both and be reasonable. You know, if they show up at your house at 7.30, then then say, hey, let's do it at 7.30 before you get started. Wandering in unexpected at 11 o'clock in the morning and saying, hey, do you have 10 minutes? He might not. And it might be really disruptive to your project to do it that way. So plan for it. You know, be prepared. Go in, say, hey, I saw this. Why was it done this way? I was expecting it that way. And don't be accusatory. Just go in with, hey, I don't understand this. And the more communicative you can be on a project, the smoother it can be. And trust me, contractors prefer that. They don't want a big long list at the end. They want you happy. So if that means 10 minutes every couple of days, a decent contractor is going to go, that's great. That means I know what I'm doing. That means you know what we're doing. Everybody's expectations are in the right spot. Everything is smoother. So those are the five biggest mistakes. And there are tons more, but I would say those are the big five that I see people really trip up on. And and as you can see, I'm sure you're sitting there listening going, well, those aren't that big a deal. And they're not. 
It's just things you have to be thinking about in advance. I actually created a workbook that sort of organizes your thoughts, organizes the questions. You can get that on my website, deviniedesign.com. There'll be lots more podcasts. We'll break down some of these even more. But for now, please do yourself a favor, do me a favor, and avoid these five big mistakes. And and I know you'll be much happier in the end and your your whole team will be. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Thank you so much for listening. Feel free to reach out to me. You can email me or direct message me through social media, and we can start a conversation about what it is you're going through right now. That will also help me come up with other ideas for future podcasts that I can share with everyone, as I assure you, we're all in the same boat together. I would really appreciate it if you would subscribe to my podcast and leave me a review. If you would like to find out more about me and what I can do, please go to my website, www.devignedesign.com. Thanks for listening, and I hope to hear from you soon.